This message is presented by Pastor Chuck Wilson. Hey, here we go. Daniel chapter 6. One of the classics. You all know this one. Daniel, the trap is set. Daniel 6, 1 through 10 for this one here. Now, try to imagine this. I know it's really far-fetched, but it would make a really good movie someday. A political thriller. Try to imagine this. A group of politicians don't like the president. So they decide to try to trap him into disqualifying himself somehow. Their whole focus, it's their whole focus is getting rid of the president. They quit doing their jobs, which shows that they're really just non-essential for the most part. They're just trying to dig up this dirt. And they dig deep, digging for dirt. They dig down deep. They have a huge investigation. Every part of his life is examined. They can't find anything. Can't find anything. So they make something up. And they try to get the, the, the media behind him and they make this whole thing up. And then they finally create a new law to try to trap him. I know this is hard to imagine. <laughs> but it really did happen. To Daniel. See, there's nothing new under the sun. This happened to Daniel, as we will see. There's nothing new under the sun. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you for the book of Daniel. We thank you for Daniel's life. And just pray that you would speak to us through this chapter and through his life and through how he handled this incredible test of his faith. We pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, here we go. We're reviewing, first of all, Babylon has fallen, fallen, fallen. Babylon has fallen. You know, the prophecy, it really happened. But Daniel is still here. Uh, in fact, in 531 after it falls, it says here, And Darius the Mede took over the kingdom at the age of 62. King Darius. And many for many years, the critics attacked the, the, the Bible because there was no King Darius. King Cyrus took Persian took Persia. Uh, Cyrus was the king, but hmm, uh, uh, never mind. Here's just one example of how the Bible is proven true. And Josephus, the history of Josephus, the Jewish uh, historian for the Romans, he wrote this. When Babylon was taken by Darius, oh, there it is again. And when he, with his kinsman Cyrus, kinsmen, they're related, had put an end to the dominion of the Babylonians. He was 62 years old. So there you go. Uh, we see it in another source, and it's, other sources are find, found all the time confirming the Bible. But they were working together. They were kinsmen. Obviously, Cyrus was the, the, the big kahuna, and uh, Darius was his uh, underking, uh, brother or cousin, something like that. So uh, he he takes over, and but Daniel lands on his feet. Listen to what happens to Daniel in Daniel chapter 6. It pleased Darius to appoint 120 satraps to rule throughout the kingdom with three administrators over them, one of whom was Daniel. The satraps were made accountable to them so that the king might not suffer loss. Now Daniel so distinguished himself among the administrators and the satraps by his exceptional qualities that the king planned to set him up over the whole kingdom. So we see Daniel, Daniel's already one of the three presidents, but we see that he is being promoted. Now, remember, he's 80 to 90 years old. We're not sure the exact age, but somewhere between 80 and 90 years old. That's usually when you're demoted, not promoted, but not Daniel. He's promoted again. Possibly the king had heard about the handwriting on the wall, which Daniel interpreted. And uh, so maybe, who knows why, but Josephus once again said this to say about Daniel and his promotion. Uh, it says, moreover, Darius took Daniel the prophet and carried him with him into Media and honored him very greatly and kept him with him. 
for he was one of the three presidents whom he set over his 360 provinces. So makes him one of the three presidents. Crazy, right? Uh, as soon as this happens, though, we see in verse 4, at this, the administrators and the satraps tried to find grounds for charges against Daniel and his conduct of government affairs, but they were unable to do so. <clears throat> they could find no corruption in him because he was trustworthy and neither corrupt nor negligent. Finally, these men said, we will never find any basis for charges against this man, Daniel, unless it has something to do with the law of his God. Daniel is attacked. Why? Why? Well, uh, because when God blesses us, expect it. Whenever we're blessed, expect attack. Uh, the enemy doesn't like that. The world doesn't like that. It's the price of leadership. Whether it's ministry, whether it's your work, whether it's sports, everybody wants to knock off the number one, wants to knock people down because there's this innate human jealousy. These guys were jealous because Daniel had risen to the top again. He had already gone to the top with Nebuchadnezzar. Then he ended up at the top with Belshazzar. And now here we see with, with Darius, he's at the top again. Also, there's anti-Semitism. We already saw that in Daniel chapter 3. Those Jews, right? Uh, so that was probably a big part of it here. And he's honest. He's honest. He's trustworthy. Why is that a problem? Because they weren't. They were corrupt. There was a lot of corruption, just like now. Lots of bribes going back forth, just like now. In fact, Josephus brings this out again. More of this when he says, However, while Daniel was in so great a dignity, and in so great favor with Darius, and was alone entrusted with everything by him, as having somewhat divine in him, he was envied by the rest, for those that see others in greater honor than themselves, uh, with kings, envy them, and when those that were grieved at at the great favor Daniel was with Darius, sought for an accusation against him. He afforded them no occasion at all, for he was above them all, all the temptations of money, and he despised bribery and esteemed it a very base thing. A very base thing. So they couldn't bribe him. He wasn't open to corruption. They couldn't make any money with Daniel. He was like a like a, a dam blocking them from getting any, any of the... Uh, Corrupt money. So they were very upset. So 120 satraps, 125 guys go after the dirt on Daniel. Add the other two uh, presidents probably, and it's 122 of them went after the dirt on Daniel. <coughs> Excuse me. They checked his phone. They, they checked his texts. They, they got a subpoena to get all of his, his text messages. They checked his computer his emails, his personal email server, his credit cards, his tax taxes, his chariot driving record. They checked his desk, his locker, his house. The FBI and CNN showed up at three in the morning with guns drawn to check his house. Even though, sound familiar? They they questioned everything, every contact, anybody who had contact with him. They questioned his secretaries, any of the women he had contact with. Did he do anything uh, improper? Uh, it, uh, they they threatened his friends and associates with jail if they didn't go along with it. If you don't tell us what what's going on, we're going to put you in jail. Sound familiar? I'm I'm adding a lot of today's stuff and to, to obviously. And they found, this is what they found, they found nothing. They found nothing. 
Verse 5, they found absolutely nothing. Finally, these men said, we will never find any basis for charges against this man, Daniel, unless it has something to do with the law of his God. They could find nothing. Josephus, once again, he afforded those that envied him not the least handle for accusation. So when they could find nothing from which they might culminate him to the king, nothing that was shameful or reproachful, and therefore, de therefore deprive him of the honor he was in with him, they sought for some other method where they might destroy him. And very interesting, isn't it? There's Josephus in the Bible, hand in hand there. How would you do? How would we do? What if they checked us like this? The world is watching us. Some are watching us because they see Jesus and they're drawn. Uh, those who don't know Christ are watching us. Some are hoping that that we're for real and that they can find God and others are hoping that we'll fall flat on our face. But people are watching. Whether they're searching for God or whether they're searching for some way to take us out, we are being watched. And the end result here with Daniel <clears throat> is they could only attack his faith. And that's what, what should be with us. If they're going to get us, it should only be through our faith. I remember when our church, New Hope Community Church, was started. We got attacked by all these radical groups. They tried to take us out because they didn't want a Christian, Bible-believing church in New Hope. And they were attacking us. They checked, they checked our incorporation. They went after me on the internet, did all these searches. They went after our finances, tried to find anything they could. They tried to trap me via email. They pretended they were someone else than they were. They pre and they pretended they were old friends of mine from school. And they tried to get me to answer some incriminating questions about my beliefs, biblical beliefs, that's all it was. But but still, if they could have got it in writing, it would have helped them in their in their cause. They lied about who they were. I, I exposed them. I called them on it. They were not happy. Ooh, the, I, I saved those emails. Wait, you, someday I'll have to read what you what they said to me. Uh, and it, finally, they were. I remember I was really having the, a, a discussion with the ringleader of it all, and she. And it finally came down to they could only attack our position. They couldn't find anything we did illegal or wrong or anything or anything they could. They, I remember she finally said, "Well, it just comes down to Jesus, I guess." And I said, "Yes." Now persecute me all you want. I said, "Have it." I said, "I said have it at me because that's all it is. It's about Jesus." Now that we know what we're really talking about, it's all about Jesus. And and they did. They initiated a new ordinance which they were trying to become a law at the time. This is twenty years ago. Remember, it was a hate crimes ordinance. And it didn't have any, they said, we don't have any teeth on it yet. All we can do is, is call you before a group and, and, and read you the riot act. But someday we're going to use this hate crime as a real law to silence you and to put you in jail someday for your beliefs. Tell me everything. And, and, uh, and initially this hate crime thing is going to have to have a religious ex exemption because we'll never get it passed. But the day will come when your day will come when we will put you in the jail. She, oh, this was 20 years ago. They told me their whole plot right out front. They got all these big lawyers from Philly and all this is crazy. The whole plot. And this is 20 years ago. Now we've seen it all coming to play. It's all happening. Everything that they said. And I tried to warn a lot of other pastors. I said, hey, this is what's going on. And they're like, ah, oh, yeah, you're overreacting. You're getting crazy there in New Hope. And I'm like, here it is. 20 years. Hey, guys, 20 years ago, I warned you, right? Uh, it's, it's happening. The real goal is to, to attack our faith. The hate crime. The real goal is to attack people of faith. They told me. As they were crafting it, as they were working, they were, this town was the first small town, not a major city like Philly, first town in America to have this hate crime 
bill uh, that they're trying that uh, their goal is to make it into a law someday. First one to do it, and they were working with the, the, ex the, the experts from Philly to craft this thing, and they laid it all out there. The goal, whole goal is to attack our faith. It's just another weapon, but it's the same goal all throughout history. All throughout history, Satan has used these different attack points. He changed, the names have been changed, but the goal is still the same. The weapons have been changed, but the goal is still the same. We know with, with, here with, with Daniel, and they were attacking the Jews. It was anti-Semitism and jealousy. We know that the early church, it was the Roman emperors who wanted to be worshipped. Satan used the worship of the emperor to persecute the church. Then it was, the baton was passed on to the apostate, uh, the apostate religious leaders within the church. They, and they, they had the inquisition where they are once again attacking true Christians. People were being burned for over hundreds of years. Inquisition was a couple of years. Hundreds and hundreds of years where they were burning not just heretics, people they consider heretics that were outside the faith, but also people in the faith. If they caught somebody reading the Bible... If they caught somebody reading the Bible, they were tortured and burned at the stake. That's because they didn't want anybody to read the Bible. And that, once again, Satan passed that baton to the, the Inquisition. And then it was passed many different ways. Ended up in the communist hands. The communists uh, persecuted Christians for so long because they said there was no God. Then it was passed on to radical Islam, which says there's no God but Allah. All the persecution going on today is unbelievable. In the USA, we see it being set up. Uh, today in the U.S. because they, there's n n no God that, that holds us accountable. If you believe in a God that holds you accountable, that's a no-no. And all gods are the same in the USA. And, and if you don't believe that, persecution, it's coming. It's already here and it's coming. Look what's happening in our country right now as I speak. It's crazy out there. Uh, it's coming apart at the seams in many ways. And then also we know in the, from we get to the book of Revelation, the Antichrist will say he is God and you have to worship him. And a great verse that just kind of pulls this all together. First Peter 4 verse 12 says, Dear friends, do not be surprised at the painful trial you are suffering as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice that you participate in the sufferings of, sufferings of Christ so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted because of the name of God, I'm sorry, if you are insulted because of the name of Christ, you are blessed for the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. If you suffer, it should be not as a murderer or a thief or any other kind of criminal or even as a meddler. However, if you suffer as a Christian, do not be ashamed, but praise God that you bear that name. For it is time for judgment to begin with the family of God. And if it begins with us, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God. So we see that that this we shouldn't be shocked about the persecution. It, it uh, Peter is warning us, and it's gone all throughout history. It's going to culminate in the book of Revelation. It's going to really explode there. <clears throat> expect attacks. When God blesses, expect it. Just because you follow Jesus Christ, it says here. Just because you're following Jesus, expect those attacks. But make sure, verse 16, it's because of our faith, not because of sin. Not because of something wrong we've done. Is there anything in our life that the Holy Spirit is convicting us of? Anything in our life that, that if, how would we do if, if someone were to dig into our life? How would we do if they, would they even have to dig to find something that, you know, is questionable or something that's wrong, something that brings dishonor to the name of Christ? 
do people even know we are Christians? Do they even know we're Christians? Can they even tell? I was just reading Facebook this morning. I don't read it a lot because I'm too busy, honestly, but I just flipped down real quick and I saw a, a Christian on there using language that I was just shocked by. A Christian, man. And it, using language and saying crude things and I was just like, <gasps> you know, if this is what he's putting on Facebook, how, what is his life, if we dug a little of his life? And, and you know, we, you know, people read this, people see this and the language and the crudeness it just was, I was just ashamed for Jesus when I read that. And I know Jesus is ashamed of me a lot of times when I do things that bring him dishonor. Uh, but but I'm just using the Facebook as one example. Do people, can they tell from our Facebook that we are Christians? And are we really being careful what we post on there and what we say on there? Are we, you know, are we keeping a positive Christian message there? Uh, and a test is for for. Is there something that's not right in our life? A test is, is there anything that we hide from other people? Is there something that we hide from other people? That's a good sign that something that if somebody dug, they'd find something that's not right, right? It's our witness. It's our testimony. Who is watching you? Who is watching me? Who is watching us? We never know who's watching. Daniel passed this test. He escaped their dirty tricks. But look what happens next. The trap is set. The trap is set. As a kid, I decided to do some trapping. I wanted to make some money and I, I decided I was going to trap muskrats. If you know what a muskrat is, it's, it's a big rat that lives in the water. <laughs> they're big and they're really swimming rats, right? And uh, so you're not going to feel too bad about my story. That's why I'm telling you what they're like. Uh, so I, I bought this little, these little leg traps and I was going to try to trap these muskrats in the creek. And then you'd skin them. Basically, how it ended up is I'd set the trap late at night. I'd go out just before dark. I'd set the trap. And then in the morning, I'd get up really early before school. I'm like 12 years old. I'd get up early morning, go check my traps to see if I got a muskrat. And if there was, I'd hang them out down in the, the basement. We had this old cellar. It was really a cellar, not a basement. Nobody lived down there. It was all rocks and stones and dirt and flooded. And I, I'd hang them out down there. And then I'd get home from school. I'd go down and I'd skin my muskrats and, and put them on a stretcher and let them dry. And then I'd take them to the guy and sell them. Got $3 a piece. So, so I was all excited. But before I got there, uh, that was the plan. $3 to a 12-year-old at that time was a lot of money. That was more. I only made a dollar an hour on the farm. So that was a lot of money. And so I was all excited. <clears throat> so I got this little, these little leg traps and I set them. And I was, I was practicing out by the hay mile. I never forget I was practicing. And I set the trap and I put a little hay on top to like cover it up to kind of make it look, look sneaky. And one of my brothers and sisters said, hey, Chucky. And they distracted me. And I went under up in the yard and I was playing baseball or something in the yard. And all of a sudden I heard this, yeah, yeah, yeah. It was a cat. <laughs> I stepped in the trap. I totally forgot I set the trap and I was just practicing and the cat stepped in it and stuck in it. It was freaking out. You should hear what cats, the howling they can make, screeching they can make. And it was freaking out. And now I'm trying to get it, but it's scratching at me and I'm like, I don't know how to get it. And I finally took a blanket and wrapped up the cat and pried open the trap and the cat shot out of there like a gun took off didn't know what hit him you know so <clears throat> that's what, what the muskrats must have felt like i went out in the creek then <clears throat> and i put the i put the little leg trap in the creek you could see where the muskrats swim because it left a little trail along the bottom of the creek i knew their trail i set it there next day he came out and it was snapped i was like there must be a muskrat and i looked there was nothing just a foot 
<laughs> so I caught the muskrat, and if you didn't get there within an hour of when you got them, all you got was a foot. They chew their feet off and, and escape and get away and go on living with one foot and uh, four, three feet, three feet. And <clears throat> I know it sounds horrible, but I, I, I've changed. I've changed. Uh, but anyway, at this time, I, I just wanted the three dollars and catching these muskrats. So I, I guess you kept getting feet. So I finally said, I'm going to go to the hardware store. And I went to the hardware store and I said, I'm, I'm not getting any muskrats. I'm just getting feet. And they said, yeah, these don't work that great. I'm like, why'd you sell them to me? He goes, well, I got a better trap. It's a new one called the Conabear. The Conabear trap. So uh, it was like a kind of like a square trap like this. And you had to pull it down and set it. It's tricky. Oh, it was scary setting it. But you stick it in the, you put a, a stick through the one side and drive it into the mud. And then you have this square little trap there. And when they swim through it and they set off the little prongs, it snaps shut. And, and it breaks their neck and kills them. And I went out the next day and, whoa, a muskrat. I was so excited. Next day, another muskrat. One day I set it, I, I got it in the morning and I set it and I went check my other traps. I came back and there was another one. I got two in the same trap. I was getting muskrats everywhere. And it was, uh, it was great. And, uh, the, the, there was the conner bear. There was no escape. The little trap they could get out of, but the conner bear, there was no escape. In fact, recently Bob Cunningham had a problem with woodchucks in his, uh, garden. He has a, awesome garden, but this one woodchuck was too smart for the live trap that he was using and couldn't get it, couldn't get it no matter what he did, and finally he went and got a conibear. I said, oh, that'll work, and sure enough, he set it, and he put it where the thing came up, and he finally got the woodchuck, the real smart big woodchuck who was destroying his garden. He got him with a conibear. So the one trap he got out, they could get out of the, the live trap, they got out of my little leg trap, but the conibear, there's no getting out of it. And Daniel got out of the other trap, they dug and dug and tried to find it. He got out of it, but then they set the conibear trap, the spiritual conibear trap. There was no getting out of this. We see the, Daniel's enemies came up with a trap that he could not get out of. And so let's see what happens here in Daniel chapter six what this trap is verse uh let's see we'll do verses six and seven so the administrators and the satraps went as a group to the king and said "O king darius live forever the royal administrators prefects satraps advisors and governors have all agreed that the king should issue an edict and enforce the decree that anyone who prays to any god or man during the next 30 days except to you O king shall be thrown into the lion's den now, O king, ish, uh, we'll stop right there. We'll stop right there. The plot. First of all, they start by lying. They said, we all agree. Is that true? No. Daniel didn't agree. And he was number one. <laughs> the number one guy in the whole system. You know, he, he was one of the three presidents, according to uh, Josephus. He didn't agree. So they lie, first of all. And then they flatter. Beware of flattery. Beware, beware. They appealed to Darius's ego and his pride. And they probably also were thinking of it as a pledge of loyalty. They probably sold it as a pledge of loyalty. This is a test. You're the new king of Babylon. Let's see, make sure everybody's really loyal to you. They're going to pray to you. It was common for pagan rulers of this the ancient world to claim deity. We already know that. The emperors being worshipped. We already knew that. It would, it would be easy for a Persian pagan at this time who believed in many gods, it would be easy for them to pray to Darius. They, they were conditioned to worship uh, uh, men already, especially kings. But there's no way that a godly Jew could worship anyone but Jehovah, the one true God. And Daniel was a godly Jew. And so they came up with a punishment. What did they say? The lion's den. The lion's den. They, they uh, came up with this punishment. The Babylonians before this didn't use lions. They used 
fire, fire, right? But the Persians worshipped fire. They worshipped fire. So it, instead of that, instead of using fire, which they worshipped, they used lions, okay? And besides, the plotters probably wouldn't have used fire anyway. They probably already, they probably would have said, well, we, 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 they probably feared they couldn't burn up Daniel anyway. They already tried that with his buddies, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. It didn't work. We've got to come up with another plan, right? So in verses 8 and 9, they invent a law. <clears throat> they invent the law. Uh, now, O king, issue the decree and put into writing so that it cannot be altered in accordance with the law of the Medes and Persians. Ooh, these guys are slick, right? Which cannot be repealed. So King Darius put the decree in writing. In writing. They invent a brand new law. Unlike the evolving U.S. Supreme Court interpretation laws that change all the time, the Medes and Persians laws could not be changed. Read the book of Esther, you'll see they cannot be changed. You can add a law on top of it, but you can't change the existing, the pre-existing law. Remember the statue that Daniel saw. The head of gold was Babylon and Nebuchadnezzar, and he wasn't tied down to any law. He could do whatever he darn well pleased, right? But the Medes and Persians, which were a stronger kingdom, silver was stronger, but it's an inferior in metal. Their rulers had an inferior power over their kingdoms. Okay, remember we talked about that? It was a stronger country, but a weaker king. So he was locked in. He couldn't go against the law of the Medes and Persians. Darius couldn't do that. So what does Daniel do? Verse 10. Now when Daniel learned that the decree had been published, he went home to his upstairs room where the windows opened toward Jerusalem. Three times a day he got down on his knees and prayed, giving thanks to his God, just as he had done before. What did Daniel do? He prayed. <laughs> He broke man's law in order to keep God's law. Remember the apostles? We must obey God rather than men. It, the only time it's okay to break the law of man is when it goes against, clearly goes against God's law. And at that time we can, but we have to be willing to suffer the consequences. The apostles were thrown into prison. They were beaten. They were whipped. They were thrown into prison for obeying God over men. Daniel was thrown into a lion's den for obeying God over men. Neither one fought against the punishment. They accepted that. But they still obeyed God's law over man's, but then they took the punishment. Very important that we, we remember that. He didn't break, he, he, he broke man's law. He didn't break any of his habits. He didn't break a single habit. He went home. He left the windows open. He could have closed the windows. No, he left the windows open just like he always had. Why? He didn't want anything to come between him and God. That's why he opened the windows. He doesn't want anything to come between him and God. And it says he faced Jerusalem. He faced Jerusalem. Why would he face Jerusalem? Daniel knew the word of God. That's why he knew the word of God. It says here in 2 Chronicles 6, 36-39, when Solomon dedicated the temple, the Holy Spirit was moving in a powerful way and he really gave a prophetic prayer in Daniel, uh, about Daniel. In Second Chronicles 6, 36-39, listen to what Solomon says. Talking about the Israelites, he says, When they sin against you, for there is no one who does not sin, and you become angry with them and give them over to the enemy, who takes them captive to a land far away or near, and if they have a change of heart in the land where, you, where they are held captive and repent and plead with you, 
in the land of their captivity and say, We have sinned, we have done wrong and acted wickedly. And if they turn back to you with all their heart and soul in the land of their captivity, where they were taken, and pray toward the land you gave their fathers, toward the city you have chosen, and toward the temple I have built for your name. Then from heaven your dwelling place, hear their prayer and please and uphold their cause and forgive your people who have sinned against you. Wow. Daniel knows that he is doing exactly what Second Chronicles taught him to do. He also knows that the time is close for the return from exile for the Israelites because he knew the book of Jeremiah. Wait till we get to that part here in a little bit in the book of Daniel. He knew exactly how long they were going to be in that land. He knew the time was coming close to be sent back to Israel to rebuild the, the, the Jerusalem, the walls, and the temple. He knows that. Wait till you see it. He's on his knees, says here in Daniel 6. He's on his knees. Why on his knees? Jews usually prayed standing up. They usually prayed standing up unless it was an urgent need. An urgent need. And this was an urgent need. He knows he's facing the lions then. Urgent need. He knows his life is on the line. Have you hit your knees lately? Have you been had to do that because you're under so much uh, a certain pressure that you knew it was it was such an urgent need? I I have. Uh, and and it says he prayed three times a day, three times a day. Why would Daniel do that? Because he knew the word of God, the word of God. Psalm fifty-five, verse sixteen. But I call sixteen and seventeen. But I call to God, and the Lord saves me. Evening, morning, and noon, I cry out in distress, and he hears my voice. And many, many observant Jews still do just that. I was on a plane ride, I remember, to Israel. And I was flying to Israel, and all of a sudden, the plane started going, ooh, <laughs> it felt like it was tipping. All of the Jewish passengers, which were the majority on that big plane, all went Toward the, the window, there was a window in the aisle. They all piled around these different windows in the aisle, all on the same side of the plane, all facing a certain way. They knew where Jerusalem was and they knew where the temple was. And they were all at a window, just like Daniel. And they were all praying. It was a little scary. <laughs> you know, it got loud. And it was a little scary. You know, it was you know, a little scary on that plane. But that, that they were they're following Psalm 55 and Daniel's example. Some key spiritual lessons as we wrap up this part. Next time we're going to get into the, the lion's den itself. Some key spiritual lessons. The secret to Daniel's success. The secret to his success politically and spiritually was prayer. Prayer. He had this close relationship with God. This guy was busy. There was nobody busier than Daniel. He ran all each kingdom. Each kingdom. Babylon and the Medes and Persians. He was running the kingdoms. Unbelievable. Who's more busy than him? But no matter how busy he was, no matter how urgent the tasks were, no matter how big a crisis, he still found time to pray to God three times a day. It reminds me of what uh, I have a friend named Todd Young, and his father was in World War II. And I remember him telling his dad telling me this story when I was uh, at visiting the house lot. We went to the same college, and we hung out at Kelvin College, and uh, would go over to his house to hang out and get a lot of good food and hot chocolate. Uh, that's a whole other story. But anyway, his dad would tell me all these war stories. And his dad was in World War II. He was at a tank unit. He was with a spearhead 
tank unit. And he, he was, their job was to break through the enemy line, get surrounded, and hope that reinforcements showed up. Uh, they would wreak havoc and just get surrounded and hope reinforcements showed up and got them out, you know, saved them. That was their job, is to create a hole in the line and get surrounded and, and, and just hang on and fight. He said out of his original unit, there were 270 men that started at the beginning of the war in his unit. At the end, there were only 17 of them left. The rest were either killed or wounded. They were gone. There were 17 original members, and he said it was brutal. Every day was crazy. It was hectic. It was fighting. It was brutal. And yet, he said, every day, I wrote my wife a letter. Every day. It didn't matter if I was in the middle of a battle. doesn't matter what was going on. I still found time to write my wife a letter every single day because I knew it could be my last letter. It could be my last day. I expected it to be my last day. I did not expect to come home. Every day, he still made time to, to, to write that letter. And that's what Daniel did. No matter how bad the spiritual attacks were, doesn't matter how much craziness was going on, he still found time to connect with God, to talk to God, to be quiet before God. He still found time to do that. We also see the secret to handling spiritual attacks. Daniel's under a spiritual attack. What, what, what was his solution? Took it right to God. He went right to God with it. Maybe you're being attacked for your faith. Maybe you're tempted to compromise. Maybe you're under pressure. Daniel had three choices. He could stop praying. He could pray in secret. Or he could just pray. And he chose to just pray. And, and you never know. You never know who we will impact. We never know who we will impact by taking a stand or taking a knee. We never know who we're going to impact when we do that. In fact, I was reading Voice of Mutters some years ago, and I saved this story. It was so amazing. It's a, Serb, a testimony by a Serbian sniper at the siege of Vukovar. He was ordered to shoot anybody who came out of their house. <clears throat> this is his, what he says. He, Voice of the Martyrs magazine. He said, as we were surveying houses from his, my hiding place, he spotted two women in their living room kneeling and praying. He watched them for days. When they went out to, to get fresh water, he did not shoot. He was told to shoot him, but he didn't shoot him. He didn't shoot him. Finally, when the town was stormed, they took the town. He went straight to the house of the two praying women and told them he could have killed them at any time, but he did not because they were praying. They started to talk to him and they led him to the Lord. He gave this testimony to one of the churches, standing between these two Christian ladies. Later on, he gave this in one of the churches they were witnessing. He gave, standing between the two ladies, he said what really happened. When asked if he was going to shoot people again, his answer was that he put down his gun and will never touch it again. We never know who we're going to impact. Our world is crazy. We're having a rioting on the streets right now. We have racial tension. We have the coronavirus. We have this racial tension. A lot of people are upset and scared on both sides. Upset on both sides. But we, we have to be the ones on our knees. We have to be the ones showing people that God is the answer. That there's not going to be any healing to this racial hatred on both sides. There will be no healing until we're on our knees together. Until people see God and the reality of Christ in our life. That's the, that's the secret. Daniel's secret. Maybe you are like that sniper. Maybe you are an enemy of God. Maybe you are watching some Christians and the Holy Spirit is working on your heart 
working on your heart. You can have the same peace, the same peace that they had in the midst of that war and the sniping. You can have the same peace by making peace with God. The same peace that Daniel had by making peace with God. And there's only one way, and that's through Jesus Christ. No matter where you are in this country and what side you're on and what your life is like, you may be an enemy of God, but you can have peace by making peace with God through His Son, Jesus Christ. God has offered His love to us. John 3.16, For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son, that whoever believes in Him shall not perish, but have eternal life. You can have a new life right now, this very moment that will go on through all of eternity. You can have that life now by putting your faith in Jesus, surrendering your life to Him. Let's pray. Maybe you are an enemy of God. If you've never put your faith in Jesus, you are an enemy of God. We all were an enemy of God at one time. But God loved us so much that He sent His Son Jesus to die for us, to die in our place. You can make peace with God right now. You don't have to be his enemy because Jesus died on the cross for our sins so that we could be forgiven and become children of God. Are you ready to surrender your life to God? Are you ready to pray the prayer of faith? For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. God, please forgive my sin. Forgive everything wrong I've ever done. I repent. I turn away. I walk away from that old life. I put my faith in Jesus. I believe he died on that cross for me. So I could be forgiven. I put my faith in Jesus, your son, your one and only son. I give my life to him. And while you're praying about that, I want to speak to those who are Christians for prayer. How is the Holy Spirit speaking to us? How is the Holy Spirit speaking to us? What if, what if our enemies dug into our life? Would they even have to dig to find something that would disqualify us spiritually in their eyes? How about our lives? Would we surrender our entire life to God so that He can really touch other people through our lives? Father, pray that your Holy Spirit would take the Word and, and complete what you're starting right now. Pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. If you have prayed the prayer of faith and you don't have anybody you can share that with, email me, nhcc at comcast.net. I'll be so excited and it will help you get connected with a good, strong Christian group, Bible study, church, something that will help you to grow. I'll get on Google and find something, some church. I do it for people all the time. God bless.